0: How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Can you say amen? Do you feel the spirit of the living God, his presence here? His presence is marvelous, isn't it? All right, you can stop. Thank you. Just looking at one verse of scripture tonight. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. I'm just going to read it to you. It's a very familiar passage. Uh, you probably heard it a million times in churches across the world. These words are the last words spoken as we all go forth from the house of God. And it says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you And the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's a definite order and progression to this sentence. Because it all begins with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You begin by receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Move this forward just a little bit for me. When we're talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace is the opposite of shame and condemnation. When you're walking in shame and condemnation, you're walking in works for which you need be ashamed. When you're walking in shame and condemnation, you're walking in the knowledge that what you're doing and how you're living is not right. And there's shame and condemnation that comes with a kind of lifestyle that is antithetical to the truth that is in Christ. But suddenly in the midst of that, What we tend to do is we try to become our own redeemers. We use all kinds of language, trying to get right, trying to do right. Why don't you come to church, brother? Oh, I can't because I got to get myself right first, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. And a hypocrite is anyone who comes to church before their life is perfect in that regard. So people say things like, well, when I do it, I'm really going to do it. I'm not going to be like these hypocrites who go to church but still got stuff in their life. You completely missed it. You think that you can be your own redeemer and get your own life clean and then come to Jesus Christ and he'll validate and substantiate the effort that you made and the decision that you made to live right and that's not what it's about. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ meets us in the midst of our sin. Meets us in the midst of our filth just as David spoke of tonight. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ Meets us in the midst of our rebellion against God and his grace comes and washes us. We got a ring. Turn off the monitors, please. His grace comes and washes us clean. His grace comes and pulls us out of the pit that we can't pull ourselves out of. And, And so our life in Christ begins with a confrontation with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not only the grace of Jesus Christ that pulls us out of our sin, but it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that teaches us to walk clean and to walk free from it. Because for some reason we tend to think that grace saves us, but the law keeps us. We think we need the grace of Jesus Christ to get out of our sin, but then we need some solid rules to walk clean. We need some solid laws and rules and regulations and punishments. So that we can be sure to walk clean. There's got to be ramifications. And we forget that the ramification, that the punishment was laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And if we think that we can be saved by grace, but that we can be sanctified by our flesh, that is by our own human effort to walk clean and to walk pure, we got another thing coming. Paul said clearly to the Galatians, having begun in the spirit, do you think that you can be perfected by the flesh? Having begun in the spirit... Do you think that now you need the law and circumcision and food regulations and dietary laws and and baptisms and washings and ceremonies? Do you think you need rules and regulations? When you were saved, you were not saved by rules and regulations. You were saved by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through your faith, you received his grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Unmerited favor. Favor that is beyond anything that you can imagine. Favor that's ridiculous. That's stupid. It's dumb. That God would simply take all of our sin and remove it from us and lay it on His Son, Jesus Christ. Lay it on a 2,000-year-old sacrifice and say that 2,000-year-old sacrifice is still enough to save you and to cleanse you and to heal you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us how to live upright and holy lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us that he might prepare a people who are his very own ready to do what is right. What teaches us to live upright and godly lives? The law? No, it is the grace of Jesus Christ that teaches us to live upright and holy lives. It teaches us and if you haven't learned in the school of grace, then you haven't learned holiness. Holiness comes through grace. Righteousness comes through grace. Salvation comes through grace. Purity comes through grace. It all comes through grace. And in fact, there is not one thing in our lives that doesn't come through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, the first thing I want you to know, the first thing I want you to be aware of and to receive and to cling to is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, the love of God, the love of God, the father is the implication. First, you receive grace from Jesus Christ, and then he covers you in his blood and brings you to the father and you receive love, the love of God and the love of God takes revelation. The love of God is not a crisis event like your salvation was. Your salvation, the grace of Jesus Christ, it was encountered in a crisis moment in which God met you in the midst of your sin like Paul knocked you off of your beast and received himself, revealed himself to you. But that love of God is revealed inwardly. If Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 3, 16 and following when he says, I pray that by his spirit, he would strengthen you with might in your inner being. And he goes on to say, so that you might have power to grasp the height and depth and breadth and width and of his love which surpasses knowledge. If you want to grasp the love of God, you need power. I know we know we need power to heal the sick. Did you know that you need power to grasp the love of God? You got God has to give you power before you get a hold of his love. And when you find the love of God, you find more than the grace to remove your sin and make you pure. You find the kind of love that a father has for a son. Because he hasn't given you the spirit of bondage to fear, but the spirit of love. And of power and of a sound mind. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And, and God has made you sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart. Crying out, Abba, Father. When he's talking about the love of God the Father, he's talking about the love that makes you a son. The love that brings you into sonship. When you're talking about your sonship to God, you're talking about the love that the Father has lavished upon us. That we should be called sons of God. And John starts that passage by saying, behold, meaning look, because if you don't look, you're going to miss it. Behold what manner of love. Walking in your sonship means walking in the love of God. It means keeping yourself in the love of God. It means waking up in the morning feeling loved by God. It means walking through your day feeling loved by God and loving Him in return. It means going to sleep at night feeling overwhelmed by the love of God. That's what it means to walk in your sonship. It means for the love of God the Father to be with you. Now we have experiences of grace, but Paul said may the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. We have experiences of love, but Paul said, may the love of God be with you. He's talking about perpetual experiences. He's talking about a lifestyle from start to finish. He's not talking about a momentary encounter. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's not talking about something that you get at an altar every few months. He's talking about something that you have the capacity to walk in 24-7, 365. And then he says, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There's a definite order because most believers never enter into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit because they're still struggling to receive the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of the father. You've got to get the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of the father before the, the, before the fellowship of the Holy Spirit even means anything to you, because apart from grace and love, fellowship is superfluous. Even if he tried to talk to you, you wouldn't understand what he says because he only speaks words that grace and love can understand. And so if you're not walking in grace and love, you can't even understand a word that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit is longing to take you into his fellowship, but he can't until you're established into the grace of Jesus Christ and in the love of the Father. You've got to behold what manner of love the Father has given to us if you want to enter into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And when, I, when I'm talking about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about your time in prayer. When we think of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we think prayer, worship, Bible. It is so much more than that. It is so. You, do you know that you can pray and have absolutely no fellowship with the Holy Spirit? You can memorize Scripture upon Scripture and never have a moment of fellowship with the Holy Spirit? You can read your Bible. You can sing and not fellowship with the Spirit at all if there's no foundation of grace and love in your life upon which to build the fellowship of the Spirit upon. What is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? That word fellowship is so peculiar. It's the word koinonia in the Greek. We've talked a lot about it. I've just recently begun a new study on the word, and I'm finding things that I've never discovered before about the word koinonia. Yesterday I was in prayer and I was in worship and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm desperate to recover my fellowship with my people. And I began to weep in prayer. I just sensed the the desperation of the Spirit to restore his fellowship with us and to restore his fellowship among us. Do you know what fellowship is? The word fellowship literally means sharing. It means communion. Fellowship is when you have access to what I have and I have access to what you have and there's a mutual giving. Fellowship is not one way. It's always two way. If it's one way, it may be benevolence, sympathy, pity, charity, but not yet fellowship. Fellowship happens when the loop is completed, when... You share something and I share something. Now there's fellowship, but only when what you share is at the same level as what I share. Because if what I'm sharing is at one level and what you're sharing is at another level, we're missing each other. You ever, you ever sat and tried to talk to somebody and they kept responding to you, but you could tell they didn't know what they were talking about, but they wanted to sound like they knew what they were talking about. Aren't those kinds of conversations just frustrating to you? When, you, when you're bringing up something, you say, yeah, you know, the, the Lord has been speaking about, about this, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know all about that. And you start sharing the deep things of your heart, and they respond to everything you say with foolishness, some nonsense. They interrupt you with some nonsense, some foolishness, and there's no fellowship because there's no connection. What they're sharing back doesn't have anything to do with what you're sharing. And so what it does is it breaks you down, and you just start backing out of that conversation. Well, it's good to see you. But when there's a mutuality, in other words, when someone has been at the same place in the spirit that you've been and what they're giving back to you is of the same essence as what you're giving to them. Now there's fellowship because the thing of which you're speaking, you co-own it. There must be co-ownership before there's a sharing. In other words, it's like saying, um, you and I own a car together. And so we're going to share it with each other. You drive it Monday, I drive it Tuesday. You drive it Wednesday, I drive it Thursday. You drive it Friday. But if I say, yeah, we co-own it, but you're the only one who pays the car payment every month. We actually don't co-own it because I haven't invested anything into it. So it's actually not sharing. It's you sharing it with me, but it's not me sharing it back with you. It's actually me taking from you and giving nothing in return. Paul only said that he had fellowship with one church. The Philippian church. That blew me away. I looked at the letters of Paul and he only accused one church of having fellowship with him. The Philippian church. He said, I'm thankful for your fellowship in the gospel. And he talked in that church about the fellowship of the spirit. Oh, the word fellowship as Paul uses it. When he's talking about my fellowship with you, he only talks to the Philippian church. Why? Because he said, you only of all the churches have entered into the ministry, have have partnered with me in the ministry of giving and receiving. Why? That was the only church that supported him financially. In other words, he was speaking such deep things. They couldn't speak anything back into his life. But you know what they could do? They could sow financially into his life. And that's what created their fellowship. Paul says, now we have fellowship because you've given back at your level and not tried to give back at my level. You haven't pretended to be at my level. Oh, you're going to come back to me with some apostolic doctrine. You can't, but you know what you can do? You can fellowship with my needs. And so he says it over and over again in the, Philippian, in the letter to the Philippians. He said it was right for you to fellowship with my distress. He used the word koinonia there. He said you fellowship with my distress. And you entered into, into the fellowship of giving and receiving. Meaning I gave you the teaching and you sowed into my life financially. That's what Paul says. He doesn't say he has p- partnership in the gospel, fellowship in the gospel with any other church. Isn't that interesting? But the, but the Philippian church... He wouldn't allow any other church to sow back into his life. And you know why? Because he saw that their hearts weren't ready for it and it would hinder the gospel. They would think he was taking advantage of him. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and following. He said, if we've sowed our spiritual things to you, it's only right that you sow your material things back to us. However, I never use this right among you because I will not allow the gospel to be hindered by asking you for money. He says, but from the beginning, Christ commanded that those of us who preach the gospel should live from it. You know what he's literally saying? He's saying, I've robbed you by not allowing you to do this. Why? Because there's no real fellowship between us. Because I'm giving and you're receiving and it stops there. Fellowship is a two-way street. Now, I'm using this as an analogy. How can we fellowship with the Holy Spirit? If fellowship is a two-way street, And Paul says, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. How can we fellowship with the Holy Spirit? What can we give back? What we see is that the relationship that Paul has with the Philippian church becomes a model for establishing our understanding of how we see the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He Sows the deep things of God into their lives. And they return that investment with three things. One, submission. They receive the word that he speak and they obey it. They receive it and they obey it. Number two, with service. They serve his ministry. They're sending messengers to see how he's doing in other cities. When he's he's ministering to other churches. And three, in financial giving. They're raising offerings to support his ministry so that he's free to do the work of the Lord without thinking. He goes to other churches, and he has to be a tent maker. And we think, well, he just had this entrepreneurial anointing. Yes, he had an entrepreneurial anointing, but there was not an atmosphere in those churches that was conducive to giving, and so he never asked for it because he knew it would hinder the gospel. But the Philippians had full fellowship with him, and as a result of their response... They were able to fully possess the teaching. It began to bear fruit in their lives. He talked about the effectiveness of their witness. And how it began to bear fruit in the entire region. And he talked about their participation with him in the gospel. Meaning that everything he did in every other city and in every other church that he built. They had a part in. They partnered with him in it. Meaning it was to their credit in the heavens that they were building their, they were setting their treasures in the heavens by participating in his ministry in this way. So how do we have fellowship with the Holy spirit? Number one, through our submission, learning how to submit to the Holy spirit, not just receiving everything from him, but obeying nothing. Let me ask you a question. How quick are you to obey when the Holy spirit speaks? That the answer to that question will determine how much he speaks. Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. Because out of his mercy and grace, he often refrains from speaking to us. Because he does not want to speak that to, to us for which he will once have to one day have to judge us. He doesn't want to say, go right, when he knows I'm going to go left. So he says, I just won't even say it. I'm going to spare Benjamin from having to give an account one day for ignoring my voice. So I'm not even going to say it. When I'm talking about submission, I'm talking about an utter openness, an utter openness of heart that says what a posture of obedience that says, whatever you speak to me, I'll do whatever you speak to me. You know, as a pastor, what I learned very quickly is that some people are open and some people aren't. And people are open to varying degrees. When I find myself ministering to somebody and thinking to myself, I wish I could say this to them. I sure wish I could say it because this is what they need to hear. I wish I could say it, but I can't. You know what I'm really saying in my heart? I wish I could fellowship with this person at this level because fellowship starts when I speak and you receive and obey. When my spiritual father speaks to me, if my heart closes to what he's saying, I've cut off my fellowship with him. And when the Holy Spirit speaks and I close my heart to what he's saying, I've cut off my fellowship with him. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit is looking at our heart saying, I wish I could speak this. I I just, one word. If I could just speak it, it'll set him free. I remember when I came to this place, I was my spiritual father was talking to me about something. And I could tell he wanted to say something, but he was hesitating to say it. And I said, Bishop, you don't have to hesitate to say anything to me, even if it's a harsh rebuke. I don't want you to beat around the bush anymore. I want you to just say it. I want you to be completely free to just say whatever it is. In other words, you don't have to take a month to move me from here to there. You could just say, move, boy, and I'll move. And he said, oh, wonderful, good. What you're saying is foolishness right now. (laughs) Everything you just said is complete nonsense, and here's why. And he, he started just breaking me down quickly. And wonderfully, wonderfully, you know why? Because he feels the complete openness to my, of my heart. But I see him speaking to others and thinking, I wish I could say this. I could almost hear the words forming in his mouth, but he backs off. I experienced with others and all of you here have experienced it with somebody. Most of you have experienced it with somebody, parents, a lot of parents. I wish I could say this to my children. I wish my son would receive this. Some of your friends, man, I wish I could tell him this, but he won't hear this. I know he won't hear it. I, that clo- the, the fellowship is cut off because there's no freedom of discourse. And when I'm talking about freedom of discourse, I'm talking about the freedom to share heart. And when I'm talking about the freedom to share heart, I'm not talking about the freedom to share foolishness. Because a lot of times when we talk about intimacy, we talk about th- the freedom to say whatever foolishness comes to your mind. And others, we think, well, we're, we're that close, right? So I can just say whatever I want to you, right? Yeah. Meaning that's the openness, right? I can just say any foolishness that comes to my mind. I should be able to snap at you, right? Because we're so close. I should be able to get deep in the flesh and just let it all hang out. No. Intimacy is not justification for manifesting more flesh. Intimacy is openness to the spirit meaning I should be free to share whatever the Spirit says with me to you. I was talking to somebody yesterday, a member of the ark, and, and uh, he had asked me to pray for him about some decision that he was going to make. And immediately when he asked me, I had a check in my spirit about it from the very start, but I didn't know how open he was. And when I sat down with him yesterday, I thought, well, I'm going to kind of talk around this thing until I sense where his heart is. But the first thing he said was, I just want you to be completely free to tell me how you feel about this because I don't want to go anywhere that the Lord is not sending me. I said, wonderful. I got to. Come. I don't have any witness in my spirit about this thing. I don't believe it's the Lord. And he said, thank you. I'm so glad you just told me that straight. I needed to hear that. Now I can drop this foolishness and find out what the Lord is really saying for me to do and for, and where for me to go. Openness of heart is really what submission is. Submission starts before a word is spoken. Submission to the Holy Spirit is not that you do what he says. It's first and foremost that you've made a decision to do what he says before he ever tells you to do it. And you don't pray about it. I know the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this. I better go pray about it. (laughs) What's to pray about? Who are you going to pray to? You're right, Francis. First of all. Openness to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to close this because I said I was only going to talk for 15 minutes. But I just want to say this. When we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about the sharing of heart. And the Holy Spirit longs to share his heart with us. Do you know he wants to heal more than we want to be healed and to see others heal? But we never enter into his fellowship so we don't hear him saying, I'm healing this. I'm touching this. Do you realize that all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ? Do you believe that? Because as soon as we're in trouble, we go to Google and try to figure out how to fix it. We go to the bookstore and try to get five books to see if we can figure out how to fix it. We're Googling and we're reading and we're studying and then we seek out 15 counselors. I need 15 people to give me their advice on how to fix this. And don't get me wrong, none of those things are bad. Use Google. Read books. Seek counsel. Talk to people. But do you ever think about asking God about it? Do you actually believe God to answer everyday questions? That's fellowship. Fellowship is the longing of the Holy Spirit to share what he has with us. It's an action word. It's giving. He wants to share his power with us. The power of the Spirit flows through the fellowship of the Spirit. And when you seek the things of the Spirit through fellowship, through friendship, it takes the rigor out of it. There's just a freeness. The free flow. The Lord spoke to me so clearly today and said, Clarity is in the Spirit. So seek the Spirit and not clarity. Clarity. Go into the Spirit and wait, and it'll be clear. Every form of clarity is found there. If you're confused about anything, you're not in the Spirit because the Spirit is never confused. But if you move into the Spirit and just fellowship with Him there, all of a sudden everything becomes clear. Oh, the problem is we go into the Spirit seeking clarity instead of the Spirit. It's like a friend who only calls you when he needs something. After a while, you say, there's no fellowship between us. It's just me meeting your needs. That's not fellowship. If you're hanging out with a friend and talking and sharing each other's hearts and you feel connected and the bill comes, you might grab it and just pay. But if your friend just calls you and says, man, I need lunch, but I'm broke. Can you you let a brother hold $10 this week? You might do it once or twice, but after a while you stop hitting ignore when you see his name come up. For some of us, the Holy Spirit is hitting ignore. You notice I didn't say anything about the presidency, the election, the whole process. Matter of fact, many of you have been here for years and never heard me talk about what candidate I vote for, what candidate we should vote for, or even foolishness like vote your conscience, as if one party is righteous and the other one is wicked. You know what I de- you know what I determined to never put my hope or my hate in a politician. Or in a political party. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And my hate is directed towards the kingdom of darkness. But do you know what I am supposed to direct. Toward political leaders. My prayers. You know what I think. I think if we talk to God. About these candidates. More than we talk to each other about them. We would be living in a different kind of America. And that's whether you agree with them or not. I don't care if you like Obama or hate Obama. Take it up with Jesus. If we talk to Jesus, I mean, that's funny. I was watching so many people warring on Facebook about the presidency. See, pastors, a lot of pastors stay out of that nonsense. And the reason we stay out of it is because the minute we weigh in and tell what we think about a, a candidate, We've alienated half of our people. Our, our nation has become bipartisan. The last thing we need is bipartisan churches. Pretty soon we got the Democrats sitting on one side of the church and the Republicans on the other. And we make it a spiritual issue. Somebody says something good about Obama, and half the church is saying, praise the Lord, and the other half is saying, God help us. My hope is not in Barack Obama. Let's get that straight. And my hate is not in him either. You will never never find me overtly praising him or attacking him. Or anyone else for that matter. Mitt Romney. Actually, honestly, at the end of the day, I think both of them are wicked. (laughs) Do you know who's righteous? Jesus. You know who's in control? God. And so if we learn to take everything into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If there's problems in our nations, in our nation, let's talk to God about it. Amen. If there are right wing or left wing agendas that seem to be ruling the day that we're concerned about, talk to God about it. Because you know what I see happening? I see people being overwhelmed with anxiety about who's sitting in the White House. Yes. When they should be overwhelmed with peace about who's sitting in the heavens. Amen. Cause I think the heavens are just a little bit higher than the White House. And whoever's in the White House is only there for a total of eight years, maximum. And then some joker from the opposite party. Have you noticed? I mean, has anybody noticed that every eight years we get a new president from a different party? The two parties just kind of take turns. Can I prophesy and say in four years we're going to have a Republican president and he's going to be reelected? I mean, for crying out loud, you have to, even even Bush Jr. was reelected. You, you know how terrible you have to be not to get reelected? You know, they shouldn't even have the midway thing. You know, they should just just let him stay for eight years. We'll save a lot of money. <laughs> Don't worry. And let's just make it a rule. We'll just put a guy from the other party in eight years from now. How's that? Anyway, I'm on a soapbox right now, and I'm talking nonsense. Let me come back into the spirit. See, I became a fool for a second because I've been storing all this stuff up inside of me through this whole. I'm so glad I was out of the country for the month of October because so much foolishness was being said. Even folks in spiritual warfare circles were sending out prophecies about a strategy for getting God's man in the White House. You know what, if we had more, if we had God's men and women in the church, it wouldn't matter who's in the White House. God is not looking down going, oh, we better get my man in the White House. Let me tell you something. The problem is that the church has forgotten how to pray. We've learned how to point the finger. We haven't learned how to pray. We need to learn how to pray. And when we walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we walk in grace. We walk in love. And that becomes the foundation from which the spirit of God begins to reveal to us. The deep things of his heart. And the thing that we need to recognize. Is that the spirit of God who dwells within you is not ignorant. He knows. Anything that you don't have clarity on. He's completely clear about it. How about asking him. and Just believe him, Believing him to tell you. If. If. You learn nothing else in your time here at Living Hope Christian Center. My prayer is that you would learn, number one, how to determine when you're walking in the spirit and in the flesh. And number two, how to move out of the flesh and get in the spirit and how to stay in the spirit. Because when we talk about the spirit, most of the time we're talking about manifestations. But we've raised up a generation of believers who know how to shake, rattle, and roll under the power of the spirit. But don't know how to think the thoughts of the spirit when they leave the church house. It's not about manifesting. It's about walking. And God wants spirit walkers. Not just shakers. You can shake all you want. But if you don't change your mind, nothing changes. But if you move your mind into the spirit and keep it there. Your life will be filled with peace, joy, righteousness, power. Amen. Father, I just speak your blessing over this house tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. I speak blessing and peace, strength and encouragement. I thank you. You're doing a powerful work here. We give you the glory for it. And as the ushers come forward, as we're closing this time, we bring this offering to you. We want the spirit to be able to say, I have fellowship with them. Just as Paul was able to say to the Philippian church, I have fellowship with them. I've got fellowship with you. I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel. God, as we bring this offering, we're not bringing it to a man. We're bringing it to you. This was the foundation of the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament. You said, bring me a sacrifice. You're going to fellowship with me. I'm going to bring you a covenant. You're going to bring me a sacrifice. I'm going to bring you freedom and truth. You're going to bring me a sacrifice and the sacrifice is really nothing. It doesn't even compare with what you give us, but you accept it and call it fellowship. You accept it from our hands and it becomes a pleasing aroma in your presence. So we say, may our praise arise as incense to you. May the lifting of our hands be like the evening sacrifice. And I pray That you would bless this house. That you would strengthen and encourage each one. We give you all of the glory. In Jesus precious holy mighty name. Amen.